Hey, what's up, Real Champs Podcast? We're back again. It's Hassan and Mushtaq. Unfortunately, we actually recorded a podcast last week, but for some reason, um, the website that we used to upload it just didn't want to accept the file. Uh, so yeah, there's my legitimate excuse this time for the delay in another podcast. Anyway, this is episode 33. We're going to talk about the miserable loss against PSG in the Champions League, the somewhat half and half, if you will, uh, win at Sevilla yesterday, and looking ahead to Wednesday's game, which I believe is against Osasuna. But anyway, Hassan, how have you been, and how is the Champions League for you? Uh, the Champions League, like it was for everybody else, was absolutely miserable. Um, there was just literally little to no positives from that game. Uh, obviously, the Sevilla game was far better. Um, it was actually nice to see a response there. But yeah, that, that Champions League game, Jesus Christ. I mean, the Champions League is like my favourite competition of everything, and not just in football, but just period, like across all sports. So for that sort of opening game to have been that miserable, it just, uh, it, just it, it ruined my week. It didn't ruin my day, it ruined my week. It was a bit of an upset. Well, a lot of an upset, really. Of course, you, it was the first time you have to come up, uh, come up against Sarri, Kaylor Navas. Then you have former Real Madrid player Angel Di Maria scoring against us. So it was just not the greatest of days. I didn't get to watch the full match, but what from... From what I heard, speaking to you and the group chat, it was a very lackluster performance. The team looked very flat on their feet. Um, but I guess there's no sense in dwelling on the past because clearly, as a result of yesterday's game, we've seen that Zidane has made some adjustments and they've worked. Or have they worked, really? I'll let you discuss how they did work and then I'll play devil's advocate. Well... The adjustments for the Sevilla game, obviously there was just a lot more energy and pressing in that side compared to what there was against PSG. Against PSG, there was just no press at all. Um, and then when they were pressed by PSG, they just panicked. Like It's like literally everyone just saw a big red button in front of them and just smacked it to set an alarm off. It was just it was horrendous. Um, but against PSG, uh, against, sorry, against Sevilla, sorry, it was, it was, it was just very, very different... Um, different mentality like Sevilla have always been a very press heavy side but for some reason was slightly pragmatic slightly more pragmatic against uh, Real Madrid which took me by surprise I didn't expect Lofotegi to be so I don't know safe like I feel like he played safe um, so it definitely helped us in that sense but I mean even Tony Cruz who's always ridiculed for his work rate in terms of the fact that he's just a bit well the term is diesel tractor isn't it as, a, as he was donned by you know Ben Schuster but um, he's always been a bit of a, a lazy sort of presser in that sense so even in the game against Sevilla I think it was in the second half I was so impressed all the way from his position all the way to the edge of Sevilla's box and then dropped back as well I was just really impressed um, generally speaking so there's definitely an adjustment in the in the tactics and the intensity which Zidane said, I don't know how many times in his post-game press from PSG it was the word intensity. That was the key, the key sort of go-ahead word in, across those two games. There's lack of intensity against PSG and there was a lot of intensity against Sevilla. So the reason why I said I'm going to play devil's advocate is because I saw some people on Twitter say something that kind of hit me and, and I didn't really think of it until I saw it. While Gareth Bale and Eden Hazard were superb in tracking back, and as you already mentioned, a lot of the team, including Tony Cruz, all helped counter 
and or rather all helped press Sevilla when they had the ball. Sure, they did have a couple of opportunities, but as a whole in the midfield, the attack, they really helped take the load off the defense and allow the defense to be the last resort, which is what they should be. And of course, if you look at the stats, you have no shots on target for Sevilla over the course of the match. So I think I've made the point. Granted, it was a very well-pressed game. The team was defensively a lot more disciplined, especially in the wing-back positions with Ferland Mendy there. But taking all that into account, do you truly want to have a Real Madrid or to have games where you need to tell these super, super creative and rambunctious players like Eden Hazard and Gareth Bale, I need you to let off the gas in the attack because you need to help in the defense. Is that something you think Zidane will carry forward? Or is that just a one-off case knowing the way Sevilla play? I think it's something he'll carry on. Um, it was probably something that he was very sort of aware of um, for Sevilla particularly, because obviously their fullbacks are very, very uh, attacking. Obviously, we know about Sergio Regulon. Um, and the right side of Sevilla's attack, well, their entire right flank is just very, very attacking. With Ocampos and Jesus Navas, just, they're just machines. Um, so he was probably attentive to the fact that the fullbacks will need a little bit of support from their wide players, which you know, proved to be very, very true in that. And it, it worked a treat against Sevilla. I mean, I think I think Eden Hazard had the most recoveries on the team alongside Casemiro, which is, for lack of a better word, fucking fantastic. Um, like, the fact that people obviously have been slandering the fact that he's not really stepped up in the offence, but the man made 10 recoveries against against Sevilla. That's, that's insane. Like, people have often knocked Hazard's defensive capability, especially at Chelsea. They've sort of knocked the fact that he didn't like to track back. But the fact that he's shown willingness to do that at Madrid so far uh, is really impressive. And the other thing with, with Hazard as well, because he's, he's so good at the, with the ball at his feet, he was, especially in the second half, so key to progressing the ball forward and getting it back up the other end of the pitch, uh, which, as Sevilla tired, was massive because um, we needed that sort of spurring on run from, from deep to sort of get on the counter and stuff. It was really helpful. Because naturally, Sevilla were always going to tie. No one's going to be able to press you for that long. No team in football can do that. So Madrid did very well just to hide out the sort, so ride out the storm, um, and and do what they needed to do. They they suffered, but they suffered as much as they needed to. Just a just a little bit of defense of Eden Hazard before I uh, continue on with the the conversation. A lot of people, like you said, are knocking him and and. Not not just his defensive capabilities, but also criticizing his lack of contribution and creativity in the final third or as a player at Real Madrid, and he's not bringing the same amount of spark. Need I remind you, Eden Hazard has played less than 180 minutes in actual competition with Real Madrid. Yes, he played the preseason, but his what debut was not this game, but the previous game, uh, which you were super excited about. So... I don't see why so many people are already um, hitting the red button and so quick to slander him and say, oh, he's not performing, uh, falling short of expectations. I know I say this so much, but I think it just goes back to you need to allow it to have some time, to give it some time and just let things start working together slowly. Um, But back to the actual conversation, like you said, 
his recoveries were amazing. But from the tactics of the team, if Zidane keeps this going of this really high, this this high press, this very quick, as soon as you lose the ball, recover the ball, do you think that would tire out the team, though, as time goes on? Or will they... Will they be able to stay as fit and as fresh over the course of the season? Because you look at today, all the players who played in yesterday's match trained separately. And yeah, that does happen on occasion after big games, and they're definitely tired because they played midweek, most of them, and then they played on, on the Sunday. But in terms of the longevity and the fitness of the players, is it realistic to keep playing this way? And also, do you think fans will be accepting of a more boring style of play? Because I feel like, Every fan of Real Madrid wants to see, you know, this gunslinging attack that we've seen for so long. Um, so in terms of whether they'll keep sort of rolling this out, I think it'll be rolled out as and when it needs to be rolled out. I don't think every team needs to be pressed to high, to high heaven like uh, was done in this game. Um, there'll be some teams obviously naturally sit back a bit further, so you won't sort of press them as much, but you'll you'll have players on the field who sort of look to make those eye-splitting passes, but, you know, against teams who do like to hold the ball, so Barcelona, those kind of sides, those are the sides you probably press up against a bit more. Um, in terms of... Um, I lost train of thought. What was the second part of that question now? I lost, I lost track of what I was saying, so I was just reading a stat from something. It's okay. The second part of my question is, is do you think that fans would find this boring? Or do you, do you oh, think... yeah, sorry, that bit. Um... Well, at the end of the day, you can't sit and then criticise Zidane for saying that he doesn't have a system where then when he finally implements one and it works, you can't then turn around and be like, well, he's still not doing this, that and the other. You know, the, the people who are sitting there saying, let's bring back Jose Mourinho are clearly looking at a double-edged sword that you bring back Mourinho, bring back dead football. It's not 2012 anymore where you're going to see that sort of counter-attacking style that Mourinho had back then. He doesn't have the roster for it. Um, and hasn't played football like that for I don't know how long now. I can't remember the last time I saw an exciting Jose Mourinho team. He was boring at Chelsea. He was boring at Manchester United. He was abysmal at Manchester United. I can't remember one Manchester United performance but I thought that was exciting. Everything was like, just it was just dragged out and tiresome. Um, so, like in the end of the day, if you want results, and sometimes you have to win ugly, it's just the way of the game. You can't win every game playing pity party football, you know, that paints colours on the field. It's just, it's, it's not the way it works. I think it's amazing to see how fans and everyone has kind of turned their head. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people have kind of like turned their heads away from Zinedine Zidane after the PSG match. It's just like, it's really surprising to me. After all that success, everyone was so happy, so sad when he left. And then he came back and everyone was so happy and overjoyed. And overwhelmed with emotion that he's back. And all it's taken is a couple of poor performances. And everyone's already, like, you know, ready to throw him under the bus. Need I remind many of you, sure, the game against PSG hasn't gone well. But Madrid are three wins out of their first five fixtures of the season. They sit at 11 points, tied for second, just behind Athletic Bilbao. Only due to goal difference. It's a goal difference. Goal difference. Yeah, I, I'm I'm seeing less freaking like off unrest from Barcelona fans, and they genuinely have a reason to like be quite pissed off right now. Like they're sitting, I think eighth in the table. They've been playing rubbish football all season. They just lost to Granada. Okay, yeah, Granada have been very impressive this season, but it's still a game that you'd expect Barcelona to be winning, generally speaking. 
just because of the talent they have on paper. To put in the performance that they did, their most expensive signing has been an utter sort of train wreck so far, bar one game. You know, at the end of the day, think about it realistically. There's other teams, but Atletico Madrid as well, started off well, three wins from three, fallen apart ever since. So people need to sometimes look at it and contextualise the fact that, you know what, it's actually not going that badly. Yeah, OK, there's been a few questionable results here and there. But generally speaking, they're not sitting outside the top six like Barcelona are. They're not scraping results like Atletico Madrid are. So what what can you complain about? It's, it's six games into the season. If we were 16 games into the season, the loss for a fair few, we're sitting outside the top four, or look like you could slip out the top four at any moment. I could completely understand that you could begin to question whether Zidane was the right man to bring back, sure. But to say, yeah, let's sack him after six games, it's not only stupid, it's just, it's beyond stupid. It's like moronic. It's, it's every every single... Every single word you can think to describe somebody who's sick, just label all of them that. It's just, it's woeful, really, it's woeful. Like, if they want a season that's repeated like last year, go ahead, sack him now, because that's exactly what you'll get. And the assumption that Mourinho will just walk straight back in from, you know, this position now is no guarantee either. It doesn't just happen like that. More than likely, you'll get a, a sort of lackluster caretaker in, although they'll end up throwing Raul into the job too early or something along those lines. It's no guarantee you'll get Jose Mourinho straight off the bat. But people need to calm down and actually be sensible for a change. So just looking for a few cheap retweets and likes on Twitter because they seem edgy. I've seen, I've seen a lot, like a lot of slander on Twitter lately. Like the silliest comments. I saw someone say they screenshotted Neymar's performance against, I think it was Leon that they played this weekend, um, at halftime. I don't know what app they were using, but he had a, a rating 4.9 after 45 minutes. At the end of the match, the guy ends up scoring the game winner in a 1-0 win very late on. And it's just like, that that didn't age well. And it's not that it didn't age well after a couple of weeks or a couple of months or maybe a year. It literally took 45 minutes for that to just, you know, be thrown right back in your face. And it's just one example because... It, I know it's not Real Madrid example, but you see this happening as well. I don't know how, but Kareem Benzema is still getting shat on. Sergio Ramos still getting shat on. Varane. I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know what game you guys are watching, but I'll, I'll leave the reactionary rant for another time because I feel like we've done that a couple of times in the last couple of episodes. But in all seriousness, this team isn't perfect yet. This was a great bounce-back performance. I definitely think it was... Like, if there was going to be a good performance and a time for it to come, it had to have been right after that game, especially with the lineup and the month that Real Madrid have coming. You have a midweek fixture against Osasuna. Then this Saturday is going to be against Atletico Madrid. And in just about a month's time, you're going to be playing Barcelona. What do you think Real Madrid needs to do? What, what other gaps are there in Zidane's tactics that need to be filled and corrected before we start going up against the likes of these teams, despite where they may sit in the table. Because we know they're a threat regardless. It's keeping up that work rate that we saw against Sevilla. I mean, it's fine doing it in one game. And like I know a lot of people are saying, like, yeah, I'm refusing to get hyped up because it's just one game. Fair enough, but we've been seeing the signs of, the sort of that performance throughout most of the season so far. 
um, that was just the first game where it all just sort of came together collectively as you know every single good moment. You know, the team pressing, the defence being fairly tight, um, the attack functioning, midfield functioning. So that was, that was the first sort of coming together the team. So it's trying to keep that momentum and keeping that sort of bottled up and used through the season. Um, against Osasuna, I won't be surprised if he completely rotates the entire side, which I think is slightly risky because Osasuna only did only one of three undefeated teams in the league so far, which is still quite impressive because they were a newly promoted side. Um, so it's it's one of those. I mean, definitely, I'm not saying don't rotate. Definitely rotate, but uh, rotate players that you know that you can afford to rotate. I mean, there's a few players in there that I just I'm not quite sure of or confident with. Odrio Zola, for example, I'm just I'm not completely sold on him right now. Um, even Nacho, I'm not sure about him. Uh, but players like you know using Fede Valverde in the midfield is a great idea. You know, gets him a bit sharper. Also allows you know one of Cruz or Casemiro a rest. If you know players like Isco and stuff are able to come back into the four, then use them. Uh, use you know Lukiovic instead of Benzema to keep him fresh. And, you know, get Vinicius and Rodrigo maybe even out. There's like, there's plenty of options. Like, the squad's deeper than people think. It's just it's been so overrun by injuries that it, it just looks thin and like we have no options and the squad just looks rough as a result. It will be all about rotation and keeping legs fresh at, at this point um, for those big sort of upcoming games. Mainly, obviously, the Derby and then uh, the Classico more so than anything. You've kind of answered my question already in terms of the rotation, but uh, I'll give, I, I guess maybe if you want to go more into depth, but do you think we could possibly see um, a repeat of that 16-17 season and trying to establish a rotation or do Madrid not have that sort of depth at this point to be able to do that? At this very, very point right now, I don't think they have the depth right now to do so. On paper, it's not far off. Um, obviously, you got Jovic, who's if he gets, you know, he gets comfortable, gets his feet under the table, could be an extremely effective player off the bench. You've also still got Mariano Diaz. Let's not forget about him. Yeah, okay, I may have said some things about him in the past, but uh-huh. coming off the bench, he's have a very you, useful. Have you really he can be useful that? as a threat um, against you know the lesser sides? You know, against Osasuna, he could be a good option. I wouldn't play him out against you know your likes of. Um, you know, your Hatafes in places like that because they're a bit trickier. I'd rather somebody's a bit better, and I think Luka Jovic is a better player. Um, but you know, you've got you've definitely got options there. You know, Rodrigo, we've not seen much of, but we know he's a very talented youngster who's got plenty of ability. Vinicius, if he gets his if if he gets his confidence spark, you know, is a wonderfully talented player, and you know, needs time to obviously find that confidence. So the squad's not far off the same depth. Obviously, you've got Isco and Hamas who are going to be battling for that sort of central attacking midfield position. We haven't even spoken about Luka Modric yet either, which is, you know, something else as well. Um, and he's going to, be, going to be due back soon. I did see that he's actually been called up for Croatia, which infuriated me. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of plenty of players in that squad. Whether it's as good as that squad, I don't know. It's quite a, quite a hard one to say because you think about that squad that we had then, we had Pepe, who's a step above Nacho and Ede Militao, much as I like Militao, he's a very good player, but Pepe was just, Pepe was Pepe. Um, fullback, I'd say, were probably stronger now than we were then. Um, Keepers-wise, it was stronger then than it is now, possibly. Or was it? No, I'd just say it's stronger now. Stronger now. Areola's probably better than 
kick off this year. Uh, and Courtois versus Navas is just a can of and I'm not going to open. Um, just because that's a whole whole can of worms. It's just, it never ends when it's opened. Um, it's not far off, man. I, I'd definitely say it's not far off. It's, it, a smidge, I'd say a smidge difference. But I can't decide which squad I'd prefer. It's very tricky. I'd lean towards 16-17 just because of Ronaldo. But Benzema's stepping up. I can't really, can't really knock him for that. Benzema's been incredible this season so far. We're five games in and he has five goals. I mean... Yeah, he's had I'm, a very, very... Not just a good start to the season, just a good calendar year. In terms I, of I, league goals, he's level with Messi now in 2019. For the league of goals. There's a only who Mbappe is ahead of them, right? And I think... Yeah, something along those lines. I think he also has the most headed goals since the start of 2018-19 and the he most does. in 2019. He does have the most. I think it's five-headed goals. So that is the most... Is a, I think it's incredible. I think it's he's transformed. One other thing I've seen on Twitter, a lot of threads and people talking about this, a bit of hate and then also love for Kareem Benzema. Do you think that he was stunted under having Cristiano Ronaldo there or is he just adapted his playing style now that he's gone? I wouldn't say stunted per se. I think stunted is a harsh word to use because he was still scoring by and large in most of those seasons under... under uh, Sort of the wing of Ronaldo in that sense. Um, if you look at his numbers across those seasons, let me just get them up very quickly. So he scored 26 in, 20, in uh, 10 and 10, 11, 32 the following year, then 20, then 24, 22, 28, 19, 12, and then obviously 30 last year. Um, so like his numbers have been fairly consistent. Okay, he had that one league campaign where he had five goals, which was dismal. Um, but other than that, he's got near enough, I'd say on average around 15 goals a season with the odd 20 sprinkled here and there. Like By and large, he's been very pretty much consistent. Obviously, he could have had more if he hadn't been playing next to Ronaldo. But he's you know, obviously now the, ma- the main man. He's taken that, round, he's taken that sort of that ranking in the team and he's, he, he's running with it. You know, that's, that's more than fair enough. Like, the numbers don't really suggest that he was majorly stunted. Yeah, okay, he may have held back. But I don't know. I, would, I personally wouldn't say stunted. I feel like I had another question, and then I just forgot it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so disappointed. It was such a good question, too. Shit. God, let me think now. It's okay. We'll just have awkward silence on the podcast for a little bit. There's a time to grab a snack, maybe a drink. Oh, depends on how long we'll be here. Yeah, I don't know. You might be able to make a whole dinner by the time I remember this question. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, so if for... you're remembering that, I'm just going to make a quick mention of something I've just seen. Yeah, go. Mauricio Pochettino saying, uh, well, he was asked about joining Real Madrid and he said, yes, possibly some year. Interesting. Very interesting. I don't even know what the hell that's supposed to be. Oh, yes. I wanted to point out what you said earlier. I thought it was quite cool. I was a little surprised at first when you said Osasuna is only one of the other three teams in the league that have yet to lose. And then I looked to see who the other two are, and it's not really a surprise that the other two are the two teams at the top of the table, Athletic Bilbao and Real Madrid. But it is quite impressive that they've scored four goals and only allowed three in five games. And I think three of those were clean sheets as well. So. Pretty cool. 
Yeah, no, I want to I want to give a shout out to the promoted side, especially Granada. Granada really, really excited me this season. Most away goals of anyone in the league with nine. They've only con- they've only conceded three shots on target in their last two games, as well as keeping a clean sheet against Barcelona. That's impressive. Um, and I think they're one of the highest league sc- the highest teams scoring teams in the league right now. Period. It's yeah, just been a very exciting team to watch. Only Villa I just like the fact that these teams are coming up and not parking the bus. It's just nice, and refreshing. Wait, sorry, say that again. I said it's refreshing to see that these these teams are coming up from the second division and not parking the bus every time they come up against a big side and just sort of essentially bending over and just hoping for the best. Like Granada really pushed Barcelona, and I, I was really sort of enjoying watching them do that. It was it was fantastic. Obviously, because it was Barcelona, I love watching them suffer anyway. But like they were genuinely an exciting side. Like they, they to to a degree outplayed Barcelona for most of that game. Well, to your point, I'm looking at the the scoring chart, and the only two teams that have scored more goals for than Granada are Villarreal and Barcelona, who have just one more with twelve. So again, pretty impressive. I would say the average right now is about five or six goals for. Not many people have reached that have reached double digits. Only yeah, exactly. Uh, it's impressive. Double digits. That's crazy. Yeah, it's impressive that these these newly promoted sides are doing that. And it, again, as I said, it's refreshing to see because so many times you'll see these sort of promoters, and it's not just in the league. Obviously, this is across all leagues in in the world. But you'll see a lot of these sides. They come up and they just they just park the bus whenever they come up against you know the the big sort of guns in their league. Um, it's nice to see teams aren't doing it for a change. Last big question for you before we wrap this up. How important, or do you think he is important, to the structure of the squad? Um, sorry, I should rephrase that. How important is Sergio Ramos to the structure of the squad and the way they conduct themselves over 90 minutes? I think it's a fair statement that the team was very different against PSG than they were against Sevilla. And as you mentioned earlier, there weren't a lot of uh, changes made in the personnel of those teams, but of course a big one was Sergio Ramos. Yeah, it's 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 a massive, massive difference. Um, at the end of the day, people sort of forget that Ramos is probably the only natural leader in the team right now. Uh, the only natural leader the team has had since Ronaldo departed. Um, and he's the only man capable of leading the back line. As much as I do like Varane, I, I've got a, a lot of time for Varane. He's no natural centre-back leader. He just doesn't command the back line enough. When he's playing next to Ramos, he suddenly seems a lot more alpha male. He's essentially impenetrable at times, can't get past him. Against Sevilla, you saw a massive difference. Compare that to PSG, where you almost seem timid. Um, so Ramos is very key in raising the level of those around him. So we don't have anyone else in the team currently that does that. Whether maybe Hazard is one that helps with that along the season, who knows. But for now, Ramos is incredibly key. Yeah, OK, he does have a couple of moments in the season where... He made some very, very stupid mistakes. Uh, obviously, the one a couple of games ago where he tried to dribble out of the box and got dispossessed from the halfway line um, and conceded a goal as a result. Yeah, those kind of moments are incredibly frustrating. But then you had games like last night where he was just unbeatable. Like Nobody could get around him. The fact that we stopped Severe from taking a shot on target is incredibly impressive. The first time this team has done that in three years. Um, the first oh. time Severe haven't managed to do that for two years. 
It's Madrid's first win at Sevilla in four years, correct? Yeah, four years. It's the first time Madrid have kept a clean sheet at Sevilla in 17 years. It's crazy. And Thibaut Courtois got a lot of credit. And, you know, people were proud of his performance. But then people were like, yeah, but he didn't even face a shot. So, I mean, and then he got slaughtered for that incident with Chicharito Hernandez, where he was offside, but that ball somehow snuck through. So... That was interesting. It doesn't matter, though. He was offside. Like, it really doesn't matter. Why do people count these sort of things? I never understand it. Because so, like, The back line has clearly structured themselves to catch the man offside. Which Listen, literally shift forward to catch him offside. Ram was completely aware of the situation. So teams played to the whistle. Courtois probably knew he was offside regardless anyway, which is why he probably made the blunder that he did. But it really doesn't matter because it didn't cost us the game. It didn't cost us any points. Who cares? The fans. Fans care, Hassan. There's people who just care about things and it's, it's pathetic. Like, just care about things that actually matter. That's, that's, that's what I could say to anybody. Care about things that actually matter. Since you're all heated right now, and this is a hot take, what do you think of that incident and the pictures that took place before the start of the game against PSG where Varane took the banner, handed it to Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale looked at him like, uh, what do you want me to do with this? And took it and then handed it off to Carvajal. Again, this is just, you know, like, literally my first sentence was, and you're going to have to send this out. I literally, the first thing I said when I saw that, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Again, like, people just literally dramatising it as much as they possibly can just to make somebody look the villain. But at the end of the day, here's the way I saw it. France were trying to integrate Bale into the team. Bale probably didn't quite understand what was going on. Naturally handed it over to Carvalho, who's the fifth captain in the team. He probably thought captains are only supposed to hold this, because obviously Varane's in the captain rankings, as is Carvalho, so... I genuinely don't see what the big issue is there at all. If he, like, dropped the banner on the floor, fair, fair game, say whatever you want. But it's not like he spat on the banner. It's not like he threw it on the floor. It's not like he chucked it at Carvajal. He literally passed it to him and said, yeah, you take that. Probably because he thought leadership-wise, it makes sense. Um, so, yeah, people need to shut up about that. And on that like, wonderful and delightful note, I think at 30 minutes of wholesome Real Madrid chat, well, I end the podcast here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hassan, is there anything else you need to add? Yeah, stop hating on stupid things. Just, just grow up. Everyone needs to grow up. Anyway, follow us on Twitter at mdesonded7 and at the Crib. Thanks so much for listening. If you have questions or uh, you want to argue about something, please feel free to reply to us. Hassan will probably reply. I'll probably just look there and be like, nah, it's not worth my time arguing with you. Uh, I hope to see you after Wednesday's game and before the game against Atletico Madrid. As always, enjoy whatever it is you're doing and wherever you are, and Hala Madrid.